0: Welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. On today's episode, Joe and I sit down with Major Ty Clark. He's the commander of the 194th Logistics Readiness Squadron, and Joe and I talk to him about leadership. We touch on uh, different qualities of good leaders. Uh, some of the things you might find in a toxic leader, and different ways you can improve your leadership overall, whether you're a a enlisted soldier or an officer or just a civilian out in the world trying to become a better leader. I hope you enjoy. If you have any ideas or requests for a show in the future, please see the show notes and contact us.
1: Washington is earthquake country, so take part in the world's largest earthquake and tsunami drill, The Great Washington Shakeout, 10:17 a.m., October 17th. Get survival and preparedness tips at shakeout.org slash Washington. Don't limit your emergency kit to rice and beans. Add family favorites and food you want to eat. Invest in ways to cook, like butane stoves and portable propane, but don't cook inside. Register and get two weeks ready at shakeout.org slash Washington. Drop, cover, and hold on. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's W-A National Guard and look for the blue check mark.
0: All right, so today we have Major Ty Clark. He is the commander of the 194th Logistics Readiness Squadron. See, I did it. Good job. Um, and Joe. Joe is here to co-host. Yes, I'm here. And, uh, well, let's get started. We're going to talk about leadership.
1: Leadership. Leadership. This is like but, the but perfect we really topic. need to say, is what's your background?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, let's go there first because I guess that
1: your leadership. So how
0: much time your do leadership. you have? Let's get like a, you know, summary.
2: Uh, summary. So this position I'm in right now actually represents the sixth or seventh career field that I've been in, uh, which is made up of five different training schools, spans 27 years, both officer and enlisted, started as crew chief, okay. F-4s. Okay. And then A-10s, flight engineer, C-130s, uh, switched over to dark side, became a comm officer, uh, then an operations air staff support officer, okay. then a cyberspace officer, a C-Burn response officer, and now logistics.
0: And now logistics. Because mm-hmm. logistics is the most important.
2: Well, Logistics is a part of everything, right? You right. can't really do much of anything if you don't have the logistics support and to make it move.
1: Every NCO that just heard this. Said, yeah, beans and bullets matter more.
0: Yeah. I mean, as a support officer myself for my basic branch that I was in for six months, uh, the logistics, the support operations, I think they're definitely overlooked (laughs) for their importance.
2: Well, the beautiful part about logistics is when it's working properly, it's should be virtually invisible. It should be seamless, right? Exactly. It's only when things don't go right that you realize, oh, no, we don't have beans. We don't have bullets. <laughs> we don't have the vehicles to move it. And you go, who's in charge of all this logistics stuff, right? And right? When you're trying to feed people and get them where they need to be. Exactly. That's when you realize that you need the logistics. But when it's working right, it's just smooth. It's seamless.
0: What was your that's favorite true. aircraft when you what, of, your, of your money aircrafts that you worked on?
2: Um, the coolest one by far was the A-10, but the one that I enjoyed the most because I had the, you know, the most memories, the fondest memories was C-130. Okay. And it was just because of the people that I got to work with. Right. The places that I got to go. And then, of course, the mission, right? Because, you know, as a a tactical airlift. Right. uh, Piece of equipment, it was all about people and stuff all over the world. So lots of great travel lots of really really cool missions especially when you start talking about kicking a bunch of army guys out the back for airdrop type stuff so yeah Fun. i
0: wasn't airdropped but i have been on a c130 yeah. have you been on a c130 joe i have been i would think most most of us probably have most if we if at you've, you've been deployed you've probably yes. been on a c130
1: you've probably flown almost all around the world on a c130
0: my my preferred method of travel is a c17 <laughs> kc135 yeah
1: yeah because if you're running on fuel, guess what? You already got reserved. You got
0: fuel for days.
2: <laughs> fuel for days. You're really just
1: a uh, flying gas station sometimes, but pretty much.
2: I, I, I like that one better because it was warmer than the C-17. Yeah.
1: It's a little warm in there. Yeah, that's okay though. Cool. The Bathroom is real small though on both. true yeah unbath-
0: At least there is a bathroom.
2: Okay, so the the best military flight I've ever taken was on a one, one forty one. Yeah, yeah, 141st the, No, 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 not not the unit The not plane the unit. Oh, okay The C-141
0: I don't And now I, I just dated
2: myself No one remembers the 141 That's what the C-17 replaced
0: The most comfortable plane I've ever been on Was a C-12 and That's like the luxury It was luxurious I never did that But it was full of bags, unfortunately So, I mean, I guess you get what you get Cool Well, le- let's talk leadership now We've got a little yeah. history of airplanes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs>
2: lots and lots of airplanes. And so I appreciate, first off, you guys asking me to come in and do this. I'm actually flattered that uh, Sergeant Chacon actually reached out to me and my, my good man Joe here uh, for reaching out to me. Um, so, yeah, let's, what, what what should we
1: talk about?
0: I guess we should start with the basics of uh, what is leadership. Yeah. That's what, a tough one, though. In your
1: opinion. Uh,
2: Leadership uh, is really the art of influencing people, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's how you care for people. Um, Anybody can be a leader, but the question becomes, are they a good leader or a bad leader? So if you ask, what what does it take in order to be a leader? The official answer would probably be just to have followers. So anybody can have followers, but that doesn't necessarily make you a good leader at the end of the day. So it's about how you are able to care for people and get them where they need to be to give them the support that they need in order to to have them accomplish the mission. Um, Most of the time when you talk about you know what it takes to be a good leader you know when you look at the higher ranking folks you realize that they're not the people who are actually pushing the buttons or pulling the triggers or working the controls of the aircraft. Um, They are the ones providing the vision and then the support and the guidance and in the resources right if you're not removing obstacles or solving problems then it's arguable that you are not a leader
0: right yeah,
2: yeah. someone who I has agree.
0: influence yeah I it's all, all, all it's an influence game
2: right yeah to be able to for sure people, for sure
0: i guess in today's climate the biggest conversation with regards to leadership is toxic leadership and and its history in the military and sure and how it's easy to have a toxic leader who continues to do well just because sometimes that methodology can get you good metrics and if all you're looking at is good metrics and not really like the human response absolutely and um, so yeah they can continue to go uh, through through the ranks
2: and it's 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 i would say it's actually a bigger piece That goes along with that, you know. You do have those leaders. You have those entire organizations that they are focused on, like you say, a metric, on a number, you know, a specific monetary goal or a certain number of sorties, if you will, and it's all based on hitting specific numbers. But it never really talks about the people that are accomplishing or doing those things. And so I read a really cool book, and they talked about that. uh, Leaders Eat Last. It was actually a really good book, and it talks very specifically about leaders that focus on metrics versus focus on people right? and creating sort of that culture where everybody feels like they belong to something, that they feel like they're a part of something because there's that basic human sort of desire to be a part of something, right? you know, and there are certain evolutionary type of physiological things in your body that have made us thrive and respond and want to be a part of something. You know, we have chemical reactions in our brains yes. that make us that reward us for doing things that are more group oriented uh, and of course, individual oriented too, you know, depending on which chemicals you're talking about. And so it's, you know, those good organizations are the ones that focus on people. And so when you start looking at that and uh, Sergeant Chacon and I were talking about this a little bit about the type of environment that you're building, is it Mm -hmm. based on hitting specific metrics or is it based on developing and growing people to hit metrics?
0: What I think is funny though about that, because Um, so I did the joint intermediate public affairs course. You do a, like a paper and we had one of our, my group's topic was toxic leadership. Mm. And we talked about how the metric standard versus the human standard, but about how you can actually use the metric of retention within a unit to discover whether or not it has a toxic leader or a human leader, a, a good leader. Right. Uh, because the retention of soldiers in a unit where they care about the people. And airmen an airman, sorry, um, it's armyism. Uh, but the, the service members that are in an organization that has a, a good leader, cares about the people, understands inclusive, diverse, functional, their retention is gonna be through the roof, right, because people wanna work there, they wanna stay there, they wanna thrive there, but a, a, the metric for retention at a toxic leaders uh, unit is, is gonna be way down. Because those people don't want to stay in. They want to get out. They want they, That becomes to them what the service is all about.
2: Right. Because typically in those organizations where it's metric driven, it's about, well, if you didn't hit this number, if right. you didn't hit this goal, then you're going to either be penalized or completely lose your job. Where, you know, that makes people feel less safe. Right. right? If you feel like there's a possibility that if you don't quite do something right that you know one and done and now you're out the door then where's my loyalty am i loyal to an organization right. that doesn't value me, value me enough to grow me to train me to make me the best version of myself or if i'm just going to make a mistake and they're going to be rid of me right then they're going to be constantly going somewhere else i think to find that thing they're they're looking for that they're missing exactly and they may not even know you know that's what it is yeah right but if you know if you have one of those organizations and uh, they talk about different places. They take like Southwest Airlines and other bigger corporations, right. and how they're they're able to build this culture of family, of belonging, uh, and and how they're able to get through tough times because of that. So you look at companies that are family oriented; they're the ones that, at the end of the year or when it comes time to make a cut or figure out a way to make ends meet, that they don't immediately resort to job cuts. Right. Right. They are the ones that say, Hey, it's a tough time. We're all going to take a haircut, but we're going to get through it. And in fact, the companies that do that, uh, actually end up being better in the long run than the ones who just go, Oh, we didn't meet the numbers. We need to find a way to save a billion dollars. And you know, exactly. everyone from in through Z, you've all just lost your jobs, right? You know, man, companies that they don't have that feeling in the organization where people feel safe. And safety is a huge part about retention.
0: A, and valued. And
2: valued, right? Uh, and so when you talk to like our leaders here, you uh, take General Horn, his, one of his mottos is safe, respected, and valued, right? Right. And so focusing on people builds that, you know, it's the respect for their time, re, um, you know, making sure they have a safe working place, not just from a hostile work environment, but just a place where they feel like they do have the flexibility and the ability to make mistakes. Right and then come back from it. That yes. it's not a one and done. And I had talked to somebody before, uh, maybe it was Sergeant Shacomb and we were talking about experience that I'd had on active duty more recently, mm-hmm. and how they talked about people who had made a mistake and they were just immediately fired. Right. And I, I remember saying to him, it's was like, you know, in the guard, we can't really do that, you <laughs> know? And so we have a much more vested interest in making sure that people are grown, are developed, are cared for, because we're a smaller organization, Right. Uh, in a lot of instances, good, bad or indifferent, it's sort of a, you know, a one person or you know, we're one deep in these different areas. And so I can't really afford to fire you or have you go find a better job. Right. But I don't know if we actually do as good of a job as we could in articulating that to our people to say, hey, we want you here. We need you here. Please don't go. What do you need in order to make this a better place for you? Right to be, what type of environment you need, what type of incentives do you need? You know, what you know, what type of projects do you need? What well, type and, of flexibility? And how do we
0: make you in a, able to not make that mistake again, right? How do we grow you?
2: How do we grow you, we grow you yeah. so that you
0: don't make those and, mistakes? But
2: then at the same time, how do we give you and let you know that you can and that we want you to make little mistakes, right. not catastrophic mistakes. Right. Not you know, neglect neglectful mistakes, you know, not, you know, do anything unsafe or dangerous. But, you know, having the freedom freedom of movement to go out and, you know, be innovative, right. be bold, be daring, you know, take some risks for the good of organization. And if it doesn't work, we can come back and then work on it.
0: Well, that's like they used to mask your lieutenant OERs back in the day. They don't do that anymore because they felt like if you're a lieutenant, you're going to make mistakes right. quite a bit.
2: Mm-hmm. And we needed to. I mean, and, that's, I an mean expert, that's how right? you learn. Yeah. How yeah. do you become an expert? You ask anyone who says they're an expert. It's
1: because they made a whole lot of mistakes. Right. right. Well, and that was that's wisdom that was something that was brought up the other day um i believe either by general horn or colonel welsh in a conversation i was having with them is that as lieutenants on the right. army side we we're allowed to make mistakes yes it's almost looked as like if you're not making a mistake you're not learning i mean to an extent yes To yes. An extent um but on the air guard <laughs> side is a little different you guys really at the captain level almost like junior field grade that's when you are like finally getting those first cracks at leadership inside of like a a company level kind of thing and it's really it's different it depends on different, the career field uh, yeah. it
2: is different it does depend on the career field though but i mean you don't actually start to see the no kidding you are now ultimately responsible for x until yeah. you're like a squadron commander mm-hmm. basically you know or some flight commanders depending on what um what size the unit is because we have like a com flight and a, yeah Uh, and those that are that are smaller that are really kind of like operating as squadrons and so you have a flight commander who's there who's making those decisions who's ultimately responsible for it and so you know they can be a captain or a major but really it's at that squadron command level where you start to see okay now you're really on the hook for making sure the money gets spent right making sure the folks get cared cared for properly and that the mission gets executed right um so it is a little bit different Mm -hmm. but on the other side what i've also seen Having been, I didn't mention, I mean, again, I've been right. in the joint world. I was, worked here as a uh, battle captain at the Jock Okay. Uh, worked on the HERF, worked on the CST, all joint right. sort of a, uh, missions there. And so being able to see and work alongside other lieutenants when I was a lieutenant and captains and so forth, we treat our lieutenants a little bit different than the way you guys do. Because mm-hmm. you guys on the Army side have the expectation that a lieutenant is gonna be making a whole bunch of mistakes and yeah. so they're kind of treated like, hey eh, he's a lieutenant. Whereas on the air side, we will look at our lieutenants and go, hey, LT, what what do you think about this? Or what's your input on this? We may not take it, but we want to hear it, at least they get that very early on feeling that their opinion and their input is valued.
0: See, but I will argue that in the reserve component, lieutenants are often valued a a lot more than in active duty where they're really looked at as babies who are learning the system. for the most part, active duty lieutenants come straight out of college. And in the reserve component, I would say more so than in the active component, they're prior enlisted or prior service in some capacity. Absolutely. And so their opinion when they come in with that, that prior service is already more valued than a regular lieutenant. Or maybe they're a little older than the active uh, Certainly component. Certainly
2: in the guard. The guard, we're just an older force compared right. to the active Right.
0: In, in the force. reserve reserves too that's I'm in the reserve so yeah. I can I as a broad reserve component sort of uh, paintbrush sure. where we definitely value our junior officer's opinion I think more than active duty but I still think we're giving them that leeway of this is your time if any to make those mistakes and
2: I have a brand new lieutenant right now and I've, I've shared with her and um, the other new gentleman who's going to be coming in now is the time right. to be bold. Yes, to make those mistakes. You're like just, you know, here's your left and right limits. Go. I will. I will rein you in if I need to. Uh, but yeah, if you're gonna, if you're gonna mess something up. Mess it up right. now, because now is the time where you can actually still say, Well, I was just a lieutenant. <laughs> I, uh, didn't too,
0: I didn't know any better. Didn't know any better. And the other part of
2: that too is that I share with them is now is the time to pick the brains right. of everyone around you. Right. And you know, go and be mentored by. Be me a sponge. and everybody yep. be a sponge. Yep. Yes. And it's like everybody loves a lieutenant, or at least they're going to, you know, bring them in and try to, you know, bring them under their right. wing. Yeah. You know, they might, like, ah, get out of here, lieutenant. But at the end of the day, if you come asking a question to the lieutenant, you probably get more information, I think, right. than what I might be able to get. Yes. You know, if I come asking a question, they're like, all right. What's your agenda? <laughs> what <laughs> else is going on? You're not just sitting here asking me
1: this. I know. What do you want yeah. from me? What do you, what are yeah. you up to? Lieutenant. So, and they're just like, Oh
2: yeah, let me, let me tell you, let me tell so, you a story,
1: Lieutenant. <laughs> so let's think back to young, uh, Lieutenant Ty Clark. Um, and, we, and it'll we be really the same, have to it'll be the same. It'll be probably the same thing, uh, with you, Sarah. And from my standpoint, what made a better or a, a greater impact in your career? the The good officers above you that gave you guidance, or the not so great officers that you saw an example of what they did wrong, and you said, "I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that."
2: Man, that's a that's a trick question. It's a trick question. I don't know if
0: I because they both impact you in different ways. Yeah, they do. Yeah,
2: it's because you. I mean, you should be looking for both, right? You should Mm -hmm. be looking uh, to emulate the good and avoid the bad. So there's lessons to be learned on from either those um
1: yeah so i would say it depends a little bit of both that's my, of both. my
2: logistics yeah. answer it depends
1: <laughs> i i always kind of go back even before i was a uh, a cadet i was enlisted like many in the guard were when sure. they became an officer um i had the privilege of seeing both sides of the coin um which uh, i think helped me ultimately make the decision of i should i want to go be an officer because I saw what right looked like and I saw what not so right looked like at that point. Mm. And so it it definitely changed my perspective on things. And I think we've all had those people in our careers that's like yeah, I don't want to be that. I want to be better than that. So right. And I for
2: me it was my my best mentors or the best examples I've saw of good officers um Maybe I wasn't paying as close of attention as I should've, but I didn't start to see the really, really good examples until I was a little bit further along. I mean, sure, there were some great examples. In fact, one of my best um, bosses I ever had as a lieutenant was an army lieutenant colonel. Great guy uh, when I worked over in a jock. And just the way that he went about his business, um, I thought, you know, this is how you take care of people. Because he was really, really all about the care of folks. You know, yes, the mission is absolutely critical, 100% important. We got to get lethal, lethality up and keep it there. But you got to make sure the people who are doing that are cared for, and more importantly, you have to make sure that their families are cared for, uh, because you know if we're going to be sending them off to fight, we have to make sure that the folks that they're leaving behind, their loved ones, are cared for, taken care, uh, you know, seen after, and everything is in order on you know from that perspective and so it's you know really the understanding that it's not just the member right. that you're caring for it's that member's family it's that member's parents it's the recognition that we all are someone else's most valuable most precious commodity and it's sure. the understanding of that and so a lot of times like every day really when i'm thinking about a decision that's going to impact a person i'm asking myself you know if one of my kids was in the military how would i want their commander to behave how would I want their commander to handle this issue for them I think it would be different it's not what would I do for my kid if I'm leading them because that's different right Right. versus their boss how do I want them to be because everyone is somebody else's kid and there's a parent somewhere or a family member hoping that the person who's making decisions for their loved one is doing so with their best interests and at heart for sure you know no, not always gonna be able to do that. You know, there are gonna be those mission requirements and needs that are gonna impact that. But by God, you have to be thinking about that, I think, first and foremost. How mm-hmm. how do I want my kids treated? Right? So,
0: I mean, A little servant you, leadership right there. Yeah. One hundred percent. Sometimes you think if <laughs> <to laughs> you're in to command to serve, though, sometimes you do think of your your command as your your kids.
2: Everybody says it you know a lot of people talk about it and <laughs> i remember you ask people and first things like well you know it's kind of like having kids and you go
0: is, is it really and then you
2: get there and you go oh yeah yes in a lot of ways is it it is right because all the things that you are hoping to teach your kid all the things that you want for your children you know right their goals their aspirations all those things it sort of it translates right it's just basically the same thing right you know i why wouldn't i want you sarah if you were working for me to achieve your goals to get a degree you know to be successful um to be happy where you work you know to enjoy coming to work why wouldn't i want that why wouldn't i want you to be disciplined right right exactly Uh, to have good manners to know how to talk to people know how to stand up uh in front of a group of folks like all the things that you know we start out teaching our kids are the same things that we i I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to teach that to just anyone that you had the ability to because it's about Helping people be better citizens, right? To be better yeah. human beings. Hopefully if you're doing it right.
0: How do you get them to be the best version of themselves if you can, right?
2: I think step one is to listen to what it is that they, what, what their goals are. For sure. Um, I can't remember. I can't remember who it was. It was a, something, somebody sent me a link and it was from like the 1930s in black and white. It was a video and the guy was actually talking about, I'm gonna, I'll look it up and I'll get back and get it to you because it's, it's a good one. Um, and it talked about what does it take to be successful? Right. And, and they talked about this notion that, you know, people for whatever reason, don't really value things that are free. So you have to bear with me on this. So he's talking about things being free. Free is a four letter word. Like people like free, like, I don't want anything for free. Right. And right. it's sort of this visceral reaction when you use the word free. And, and it was an acknowledgement that the most valuable things, the most important things to you in your life, are the things that came to you for free, right? If you were to say, what's the most valuable thing to you? Right. It's probably not something that you bought. Nope. Or paid for, right? Mm -mm. It's a family member. Right. A loved one. I spend
0: a lot of money on her, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And
2: and his point was, you know, the thing that you need in order to be successful, you can get for free. Right. And it was an acknowledgement and an understanding that all you have to do is to set a goal, and then work towards it. Yep. And that was it. And people are like, it can't be that simple. Well it can, because if you look at each potential obstacle, each challenge as an opportunity for success, Mm -hmm. then you see in order to be successful, all you have to do is look for something that you want to do and start working towards it. Right. Because there's gonna be certain things that you have to do in order to achieve that. And each little hurdle, hurdle that you overcome is one more thing that you're more successful at. And so if you look at, say, coming becoming an, an officer from an enlisted guy, the goal becomes I'm going to be an officer. And, it, you know, are you successful if and only if you become an officer? Well, maybe.
0: maybe.
2: But I would say no if you're working towards it. Right. I mean, because there's a lot of steps that come, right? You have to mm-hmm. get a degree,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right?
2: You have to pass a physical you know you have to take certain tests right. and you could do each one of those things in order but first thing you had to do was have a goal right I want to be an officer and then okay what are the steps to become that each one of those steps to get there is a is a successful completion that you if you attain it right even if you don't necessarily get there yeah right for you sure could still be successful um mine is a good example of that all I ever wanted to do was be a pilot I am not a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> want to be an Air Force pilot, by God, that is what I want to do. And I remember being in high school thinking about, okay, so what does it take to be an Air Force pilot? Oh, okay, well, I have to graduate from high school. Right. Step one, uh, I got to go to college. Step two, and I got to get into UPT and all those kind of things. Um, and so I started marching down that path, you know, get, I joined the Air Force right out of high school, 17, right? You know, thinking that would be the way, because I couldn't afford college at the time. Right. So I'm going to, Boom. I, I graduated high school. I get in right. to the military. I get through basic training. Now I'm through my tech school. Now I'm taking college courses and right. I'm doing all these things. Then I get the scholarship for ROTC. And then I get to become an officer. And they're like, oh, dude, you took too long. You're too old to be a pilot. Right. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> um, so was I or am I not a success because I didn't become a pilot? I would argue that I'm still successful because I still was able to accomplish those things.
0: Well, and I think a good goal can be flexible. Sure. Right, cuz maybe you get to the last step and something like that happens and then you choose a different goal that's still within that purview or you figure out it's not really for you. You thought what that was the end goal, but now maybe it's it's changed. Sure. So it can it can be flexible. It has
2: to be flexible, right? Because life happens. Right. Um, but there is a there's another lesson in there, I think, and it comes from recognizing that there's a potential parallel path.
0: The right? multiverse. Well, not. That.
1: <laughs> she took it there. I see where you went with that? Dropping a little Marvel in I there. I couldn't help
0: myself. <laughs> you can't help it, right? But
2: no, it's 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 the acknowledgement of okay, so I had this goal but what was the goal of the goal? Right. I know that sounds weird, right? The goal of the goal. I um, get I get it. Yeah, but you're, you know, for me it was, if I get to X, then Y and Z are possible. Right. And so even though I didn't get to X, Y and Z are still totally and completely possible right. in this, this regard. And so I had to step back from myself and go, okay, I didn't get to become a pilot, but let's just say, for example, if I had, what would have been the next goal, right? right? What's the next step? Okay. A lot
1: of times once they've reached that goal a lot of people don't make another goal they don't have something else they're striving for
2: i am not one of those people i wish i could be one of those people where i could just be like man i accomplished that now i'm just gonna sit here and rest on it from now (laughs) until yeah i can't do it and so it was well if i were gonna be a fighter pilot or whatever right you know maybe now i am the do of a fighter squadron maybe i am the you know the executive of the squadron maybe one day i become the squadron commander exactly or Mm -hmm. in the group commander so it's the continuation of that, and so when we talk about parallels, okay. So, I skipped over being a pilot, but I'm already now to the point where I'm to the squadron commander piece, right? So I, I got to the other second or you know tertiary goal, mm-hmm. but on a different path, exactly. And being flexible, as you talk about, and yeah. you know always have a backup plan.
0: Gotta uh, have a backup plan. Gotta
2: have a backup plan
0: for sure. Um,
2: and also the the gentleman I was talking about on a on the on the uh, video that i'm going to give for you i promise i think it's nightingale <laughs> i think his name was uh he talked very specifically about setting goals as you know the equivalent of charting a path and like if you're on a boat okay so you're at sea you're on a boat or better yet you're in the harbor you're you're getting ready to go somewhere do you pull the anchor cut loose and just drift
0: no no
1: gotta <laughs> have a plan where
2: to go? I mean, or do you, you could, you, or do you chart a course and steer the ship in that direction? Uh, and I, I took it a step further Is like it's always better to chart a course mm-hmm. somewhere, like just pick pick a destination anywhere, anywhere. anywhere. yes. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, you could just end up floating along and now you're shipwrecked and crashed on the rocks and now you're stuck.
1: Yep.
2: Whereas if you chart in a course under your own power, you can get there, look around, and go, Oh, this sucks. And then chart a different course. Right. You know, But if you crash your boat on the rocks because you were just floating <laughs> along,
1: what are you going to do?
0: It's your own fault. It's your own fault.
1: So. Um, this And this might be one of those questions you can't answer off the top of your head. Uh, one leader that just that sticks out to you, someone in your career that you can look back and say, it was a conversation with that person or that that individual gave me a tool or the thought to move forward. Like for me, I'll give you my example. Sure. It, it's always going to be kurt simonson um no kurt simonson Great so guy. so kurt simonson and me i was a, a young captain um i uh, had just taken over my first company command we sat down for two and a half hours and we basically talked about kind of what paths you can take and i i look back at that conversation which now is five years ago and I am now a major. I am a Intel PA IO officer. I've had two company commands. I've I've done a number of different things. And now I'm moving towards uh battalion command. I've taken over as the operations officer for the MI battalion. It was that conversation that kind of led that thought process in my head. So is there somebody that did that for you and your?
2: There's pack? been several, right? Um, the first was probably Melvin Holland, Uncle Peanut um, was a family friend growing up uh, but he was also an air force officer and he was the first person to talk to me about what it takes to be well, a fighter pilot at that point point. and he walked me through the process you know pointing me in the right direction of like you know rotc scholarships and what kind of grades i needed to have right you know I had to concentrate on math and science and all these kind of things air
0: force standards are a little stricter than ours <laughs> yeah, and So
2: it was you know talking to him was very important because uh, he was the initial first person I ever knew that had anything to do with the, the military at all right you know and uh, he had always been around and like I said we called him Uncle Peanut I think he retired as an 06 uh, from active duty um, but then after that it was a, probably a really long time before there was another person that sort of took me to that next point and probably most recently and I tell people this all the time General Horn has been absolutely phenomenal um, you know, if he's listening, I hope he sticks around and maybe goes for that next bigger gig. We, we, we need we need guys like him, uh, officers like him. To, yes, phenomenal. To phenomenal mm-hmm. officers to, to do those tough things. Um, and it's a realization that, you know, the person that did something that helped you along when you were young in your career that gave you that guidance. Um, you probably owe that now as you get older to be that for somebody and he's been that for me I hope that he continues to be it for others uh, going forward but then it's also understanding that that's what I have to do right you know Mm -hmm. and sometimes it may not be the most glamorous job uh, to do it and that's okay because I enjoy talking to people I enjoy helping people Um, and I think I owe it you know somebody helped me I should help somebody else you know give them those words of encouragement point them in the right direction but uh, General Horn said something to me he was like he asked me what are you reading?
1: And I was yep. like, nothing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what are you reading? Yeah. That's always a good. Yeah. What are you reading? Conversation. It's always and it's, it's it was the
1: you
2: know the recognition that if you are going to be a the best version of yourself, yes, you have to take an active role mm-hmm. in that. Like for sure, the first step is you have to do something to better yourself to be smarter about whatever it is uh, you're engaged in, you know, know know your craft, right? And so if we are as leaders are in the business of developing people, then we should learn something about what it means to develop them and to develop ourselves, right? You know, you should always be working on increasing
1: your leadership potential.
0: Lifelong learners.
1: That's why I'm in my master's program for a science and leadership. (laughs) Congratulations. I
0: mean, I listen to audio books when I run, so it's like that's what I do isn't it fantastic it's easy it's so easy and it takes you out of your headspace and, and just
2: running and it doesn't matter yeah. listening to listening to um, all kinds of good ones.
0: amazing books I listen to mostly books about running but that's okay
1: Sarah's a runner but she runs but lot.
0: books about running also talk a lot about mindfulness which I think is really helpful for my leadership
2: when's your role. next race
0: Uh, August 9th, I'm doing the Bigfoot 40, which is uh, 40 miles around Mount St. Helen with about 10,000 feet of elevation gain.
1: Wow. I thought I ran a lot, right? That's half marathons. That's serious. 10Ks, (laughs) 5Ks all the time. No. She walks in the office like day one and is like, Oh, yeah, I signed up for, like, a 50-miler. Yeah, I'm what? doing one on my
0: birthday in September this year, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Here
2: I was feeling good about my little half I was going to do. Yeah. Hey, you mm. should
0: feel good about any running that you do. I am a When when was your when was 100% your last race? component of all runners are valued, mm. and every run should be valued. You're doing something good for your body.
2: Yeah, When was your last I race? I like it. The last no kidding race was the Seattle Rock and Roll when
1: half. Did you do it in, this year? No, I did it
2: in 16.
1: So I did it in 16.
0: Which half and are you then? doing?
2: I'm doing the Tacoma Narrows half in August. Okay. August 17th.
0: That should be a good one.
1: Yeah, I just finished my seventh.
0: I will half. be resting because the next weekend is the Ragnar Vinnir, and I'm doing that. So
1: she is legit. <laughs> yeah.
0: She's
1: she's the
2: real deal. Now, this will only be my second. I hate running. <laughs> and so I do it because I can not because I want to
0: oh but you should want to if you're doing it it's so good for you
2: if they could see my face I hate running but it's good for you it is and so I do it
0: it is yeah. I didn't like it uh before I had my daughter and I love
2: fitness I just don't alerts. like running
0: okay well as long as you like fitness even though human I bodies were made to love
1: run Ty, love <laughs> I try. Not as, not as much as Rob Gerkin. He's a lifter. <laughs> he's my lifting partner. He's actually. your lifting partner. I've yeah. seen you guys in the gym. Yeah,
2: he's my lifting partner.
0: So. That's awesome. Okay, so we've sat, we've talked listening. Hmm. We've talked inclusiveness, goals, value, safety. Servant leadership. Servant leadership. Are we missing any kind of leadership? Is there, is there a key that we're missing?
2: I think we've touched on it without saying it directly. Okay. As leaders, it is our responsibility to produce more leaders. Agreed. Agreed. Like that? Agreed. Not our number one job. That is definitely in the top, you know, five or ten. That has to be.
0: Number one job, uh, mission. People. People. Those are sort of combo. Although if you listen to any service they're mission first, people always. Yep. Which is kind of a cop out I think
2: i take I take issue with it, and I'll be the first one to say it out loud that it should i mean try if to do a mission without people. good luck with that
0: well, and if you're if the people are happy, the mission's gonna be successful, I think I think that they feed on each other, so maybe those can be combo number one people mission
1: sure my first uh my first second lieutenant that now is a company commander that I helped get into his new company command. I remember when he was commissioned. It was like the greatest moment to me because here's a kid that I watched go from new officer to now leading a company. Right. That's exactly that. Yes. It's producing a leader and showing them the right things to do to get to that level. Yep.
2: It has 100%. to be about that. We have to take that on as, you know, an obligation. Right. Like it's an obligation.
0: And I think it's important to that. So I'm not, I would say my leadership style isn't traditional. Um, I'm just not that, you know, hard-charging kind of leader. That's not my style. My style is more uh, interpersonal. My interpersonal skills are where I flourish, and so I know that that's my strong suit, and I go there. So my problem is never inclusiveness. Maybe it's a little too much. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe people are like, hey, (laughs) ma'am, I'm good. We're we're good, you know, Uh, but... I always think it's good for young officers to see that there is more than one approach yes. to leadership that works, in that, really, it's a personal journey to figure out what works for your personality and for the soldiers and airmen and service members that you're uh, commanding or in charge of or yeah, responsible for. You have for. to be
2: able to adapt your style, right? Yeah. Especially these days because. You know, the different generations, they're not going to respond to, you know, maybe the things that were around when I was coming up. Right. Like that form of, of, you know, brash, in-your-face type of yes. leadership is there and, you know, the younger generation is not into that. Which I think they're is funny because I
0: used to be penalized when I was a cadet for not being more of that brash, in-your-face kind of leader. And I actually think now in... In the level I'm at now, it's really been my asset to not be like that because my, the people I'm responsible for, they're younger. right? They don't respond as, like you're saying, they don't respond to that. And uh, your retention numbers will suffer
2: if you utilize that style because they will walk.
0: I agree. They will walk. But I think, I think it is important when we talk about mentoring and making other leaders that you make sure that they have the capability to see that you know maybe try some when you're a lieutenant maybe try mm-hmm. some different styles out see what works for you sure right And it's
2: okay i think to switch it up i mean use what is appropriate right for the you know whatever the situation is right you know you don't have to be locked into any one way just no and i think and again, if you're goes in back a lo- to your kids right like yeah. are yes. you, do you treat yeah, your kids the same i mean even if you have multiple kids do you even treat all the kids exactly the same depending right. on what it is that you know you're no. dealing with you don't And Mm -mm. so it's that. Yeah. You have to know. Yeah. Actually, at the end of the day, it's not rocket science, right? We're talking about dealing with people.
0: Right. It's really just people skills. That's all it is. It's everything
2: we do is about people. I agree. It has to be. I mean, because what else is there? Really?
0: For sure. And to tie it to what you said at the beginning, listening, I think, most important.
2: That's got to be key, right? Number one. Yeah. Is to listen. And because... People know if you're not listening to
0: them, right? For sure. Because,
2: you know, the listening comes across as a way that you're able to show that you care about them. Right. Right? It's the, you know, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. And if you, you know, they have to, you have to listen. But then on the same, uh, or at least on the different side of the coin is you have to have gotten to a point to where now they will listen to you. Yes. Right. You know that they haven't shut you out, and what I've seen, especially when we're talking about dealing with, you know, whether it be baby boomers or Gen Xers or millennials or Centurions or set, <laughs> whatever they call them, centennials or whatever they're calling them, uh, the the even younger group, is if you start to say the wrong thing, they shut. You, they, they will just completely shut down. Yep. And it's something that I. It's funny because when I went to my tech school, I just got back in March for my seventh job
0: <laughs>
2: the it was a class of all millennials right i roll in there i'm the oldest guy in the class yay and we talked a lot about generational communication right and how they made fun of gen xers because apparently we can't have a conversation without referencing a movie that's pretty
0: true actually that's
2: an accurate statement right i mean i referenced a
0: movie during this conversation
2: (laughs) i am sure i have too right right and so that's just that's part of our communication style that is not a part of theirs and then the other thing that they talked about that i found very fascinating was this notion that gen xers and baby boomers probably to, to a more so of an extent we overgeneralize. we say things like well, men do this and women do that. It sounds like just a normal statement, but they're like, oh, well, you're saying that all men do this and I don't do that, so you're not talking about me. And I have stopped listening to anything that you have to say.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Because (laughs) one of the things I talk about and I share with my folks is I created these Clark's laws of communication and I put them in my office. Uh, And law two is, and it's very appropriate, I think, for millennials. And it's this notion that just because you communicate a message to a group doesn't mean that you've communicated that message to an individual in that group because they will say oh you weren't talking to me right that didn't apply to me and you're like yeah you're right i I wasn't talking to you i was talking to the group you were in but it's yeah they they don't see themselves per se as a group they're individuals you know, we make fun of you know, call them snowflakes and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. But it's some of that's a little bit true, and I, I don't mean to, to disparage anybody. But it is this understanding for them that I am a unique individual, right? And if you are overgeneralizing, you are not talking to me, and therefore I don't need to listen. I mean, and so the stuff just goes right over the heads. Probably
0: for another podcast, but I definitely read or heard a different podcast I'm confused about what medium I heard it from but it was no it was a book about how in the 70s there was this study that was released that said there was all of this depression because people weren't being lifted up you know what I mean they were only being a negative reinforcement not positive reinforcement mm. and so all of these institutions changed how they teach and communicate and work with children in young adults through schools and how parenting would evolve and that what we are dealing with now, which people are saying are the snowflakes or whatever, all of those children were raised by baby boomers, by the by. And that is because of this generational change in the way that people started to communicate with children in an effort to create a better environment. And I know that that's way deep. Probably way more information than anybody needs. I like it, but it's just some food for thought for everybody when you're when you're trying to categorize different generations based off of experiences.
2: Right, and they don't want to be categorized. And
0: they don't want to be categorized. And now
2: I'm overgeneralizing by saying that they, as a group don't want something That's true so
1: can't do that either who
0: is they no i'm just kidding <laughs>
1: getting deep here on getting Conversations so
0: deep folks. but yeah um i just thought it was really interesting and it, it comes back to your point though of like h- how do we reach these new generations and everything and i do think that the individual approach more cumbersome maybe but definitely it's more very time effective consuming, but
2: it is it is effective and it is what is needed um but there's a flip side right, right. especially because there's a time element to consider. Um, so you have to be careful because you can't have that always be right. the case. You do have to be able to be like, all right, this is what's gonna happen right now and we're gonna do it and we're gonna move out and that's that. And you gotta have and know that people are gonna follow that when it gets to yeah. that. But I think that you can still accomplish that if it's a part of your individual message.
0: I think you can combine the two And mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that once they realize that you care about them, right? And that's right. intrinsic, then they listen to that hey, we all got to go right now. This is happening. You got it. We got it. Yeah. Awesome. You got anything else, Joe? I got Joe?
1: nothing else. I appreciate it. Yeah, ton. fantastic
0: conversation. Oh,
2: I talk. love the fact that you two let me come and do this.
1: Thank you.
0: It's been super fun. And we appreciate it.